Chapter Eleven of Louise de la Vallière. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eden Ray Hedrick. Louise de la Vallière by Alexandre Dumas. Chapter Eleven Montalais and Malicorne. Montalais was right. Monsieur de Guiche, thus summoned in every direction, was very much exposed, from such a multiplication of business, to the risk of not attending to any. It so happened that, considering the awkwardness of the interruption, Madame, notwithstanding her wounded pride and secret anger, could not, for the moment at least, reproach Montalais for having violated, in so bold a manner, the semi-royal order in which she had been dismissed on de Guiche's entrance. De Guiche also lost his presence of mind, or it would have been more correct to say, had already lost it, before Montalais's arrival for scarcely had he heard the young girl's voice then without taking leave of madame as the most ordinary politeness required even between persons equal in rank and station he fled from her presence his heart tumultuously throbbing and his brain on fire leaving the princess with one hand raised as though to bid him adieu montalais was at no loss therefore to perceive the agitation of the two lovers the one who fled was agitated and the one who remained was equally so well murmured the young girl as she glanced inquisitively round her this time, at least, I think I know as much as the most curious woman could possibly wish to know. Madame felt so embarrassed by this inquisitorial look that, as if she heard Montalais's muttered side remark, she did not speak a word to her maid of honor, but, casting down her eyes, retired at once to her bedroom. Montalais, observing this, stood listening for a moment, and then heard Madame lock and bolt the door. By this she knew that the rest of the evening was at her own disposal, and making, behind the door, which had just been closed, a gesture which indicated but little real respect for the princess, she went down the staircase in search of Malicorne, who was very busily engaged at the moment in watching a courier who, covered with dust, had just left for the Comte de Guiche's apartments. Montalais knew that Malicorne was engaged in a manner of some importance. She therefore allowed him to look round and stretch out his neck as much as he pleased, and it was only when Malicorne had resumed his natural position that she touched him on the shoulder. "'Well,' said Montalais, "'what is the latest intelligence you have?' Monsieur de Guiche is in love with Madame. Fine news, truly. I know something more recent than that. Well, what do you know? That Madame is in love with Monsieur de Guiche. The one is the consequence of the other. Not always, my good Monsieur. Is that remark intended for me? Present company always accepted. Thank you, said Malicorne. Well, and in the other direction, what is stirring? The king wished, this evening, after the lottery, to see Mademoiselle de la Vallière. Well, and has he seen her? No, indeed. What do you mean by that? The door was shut and locked. So that— So that the king was obliged to go back again, looking very sheepish, like a thief who has forgotten his crowbar. Good. And in the third place? inquired Montalais. The courier who has just arrived for de Guiche came from Monsieur de Bragelonne. Excellent, said Montalais, clapping her hands together. Why so? Because we have work to do. If we get weary now, something unlucky will be sure to happen. We must divide the work, then, said Malicorne, in order to avoid confusion. Nothing easier, replied Montalais. Three intrigues, carefully nursed and carefully encouraged, will produce one with another, and, taking a low average, three love-letters a day. Oh, exclaimed Malicorne, shrugging his shoulders, you cannot mean what you say, darling. Three letters a day— that may do for sentimental common people. A musketeer on duty, a young girl at a convent, may exchange letters with their lovers once a day, perhaps, from the top of a ladder, or through a hole in the wall. A letter contains all the poetry their poor hearts have to boast of. 
but the cases we have in hand require to be dealt with very differently well finish said montalais out of patience with him some one may come finish why i am only at the beginning i have still three points as yet untouched upon my word he will be the death of me with his flemish indifference exclaimed montalais and you will drive me mad with your italian vivacity i was going to say that our lovers here will be writing volumes to each other but what are you driving at at this not one of our lady correspondents will be able to keep the letters they may receive very likely monsieur de guiche will not be able to keep his either that is probable very well then i will take care of all that that is the very thing that is impossible said malicorne why so because you are not your own mistress your room is as much la valliere's as your own and there are certain persons who will think nothing of visiting and searching a maid of honour's room so that i am terribly afraid of the queen who is as jealous as a spaniard of the queen-mother who is as jealous as a couple of spaniards and last of all of madame herself who has jealousy enough for ten spaniards you forget someone else who monsieur i was only speaking of the women let us add them up we will call monsieur number one de guiche number two the vicomte de bragelonne number three and the king the king number four of course the king who not only will be more jealous but more powerful than all the rest put together ah my dear well into what a wasp's nest you have thrust yourself and as yet not quite far enough if you will follow me into it most certainly i will follow you where you like yet well yet while we have the time i think it will be prudent to turn back but i on the contrary think the wisest course to take is to put ourselves at once at the head of all these intrigues you will never be able to do it with you i could superintend ten of them i am in my element you must know i was born to live at the court as the salamander is made to live in the fire your comparison does not reassure me in the slightest degree in the world my dear montalais i have heard it said and by learned men too that in the first place there are no salamanders at all and that if there had been any they would have been infallibly baked or roasted on leaving the fire your learned men may be very wise as far as salamanders are concerned but they would never tell you what i can tell you namely that our de montalais is destined before a month is over to become the first diplomatist in the court of france be it so but on the condition that i shall be the second agreed an offensive and defensive alliance of course only be very careful of any letters i will hand them to you as i receive them what shall we tell the king about madame that madame is still in love with his majesty what shall we tell madame about the king that she would be exceedingly wrong not to humour him what shall we tell la valliere about madame whatever we choose for la valliere is in our power how so every way what do you mean in the first place through the vicomte de bragelonne explain yourself you do not forget i hope that monsieur de bragelonne has written many letters to mademoiselle de la valliere i forget nothing well then it was i who received and i who intercepted those letters and consequently it is you who have them still yes where here oh no i have them safe at blois in the little room you know well enough that dear little room that darling little room the antechamber of the palace i intend you to live in one of these days but i beg your pardon you said all those letters are in that little room yes did you not put them in a box of course in the same box where i put all the letters i received from you and where i put mine also when your business or your amusements prevented you from coming to our rendezvous ah very good said malicorne why are you satisfied because i see there is a possibility of not having to run to blois after the letters for i have them here 
"'You have brought the box away?' "'It was very dear to me, because it belonged to you.' "'Be sure and take care of it, for it contains original documents that will be of priceless value by and by.' "'I am perfectly well aware of that, indeed, and that is the very reason why I laugh as I do, and with all my heart, too.' "'And now, one last word.' "'Why last?' "'Do we need any one to assist us?' "'No one.' "'Valets or maidservants?' "'Bad policy. You will give the letters. You will receive them. We must have no pride in this affair. Otherwise, Monsieur Malicorne and Mademoiselle R., not transacting their own affairs themselves, will have to make up their minds to see them done by others.' "'You are quite right.' "'But what is going on yonder in Monsieur de Guiche's room?' "'Nothing. He is only opening his window.' "'Let us be gone.' And they both immediately disappeared, all the terms of the contract being agreed on. The window just opened was, in fact, that of the Comte de Guiche. It was not alone with the hope of catching a glimpse of Madame through her curtains that he seated himself by the open window, for his preoccupation of mind had, at that time, a different origin. He had just received, as we had already stated, the courier who had been dispatched to him by Bragelonne, the latter having written to de Guiche a letter which made the deepest impression upon him, and which he had read over and over again. "'Strange, strange,' he murmured, "'how irresponsible are the means by which destiny hurries men onward to their fate.' Leaving the window in order to approach nearer to the light, he once more read the letter he had just received. "'Calais. My dear Count, I found Monsieur de Wardes at Calais. He has been seriously wounded in an affair with the Duke of Buckingham.' Duardus is, as you know, unquestionably brave, but full of malevolent and wicked feelings. He conversed with me about yourself, for whom he says he has a warm regard, also about Madame, whom he considers a beautiful and amiable woman. He has guessed your affection for a certain person. He also talked to me about the lady for whom I have so ardent a regard, and showed the greatest interest on my behalf in expressing a deep pity for me, accompanied, however, by dark hints which alarmed me at first, but which I at last looked upon as the result of his unusual love of mystery. These are the facts— he had received news of the court. You will understand, however, that it was only through Monsieur de Lorraine. The report goes, so says the news, that a change has taken place in the king's affections. You know whom that concerns. Afterwards, the news continues, people are talking about one of the maids of honor, respecting whom various slanderous reports are being circulated. These vague phrases have not allowed me to sleep. I have been deploring, ever since yesterday, that my diffidence and vacillation of purpose, notwithstanding a certain obstinacy of character I may possess, have left me unable to reply to these insinuations. In a word, Monsieur de Wardes was setting off for Paris, and I did not delay his departure with explanations, for it seemed rather hard, I confess, to cross-examine a man whose wounds are hardly yet closed. In short, he travelled by short stages, as he was anxious to leave, he said, in order to be present at a curious spectacle the court cannot fail to offer within a short time. He added a few congratulatory words accompanied by vague sympathizing expressions. I could not understand the one any more than the other. I was bewildered by my own thoughts, and tormented by a mistrust of this man, a mistrust which, you know better than any one else, I have never been able to overcome. As soon as he left, my perceptions seemed to become clearer. It is hardly possible that a man of de Wardes's character should not have communicated something of his own malicious nature to the statement he made to me. It is not unlikely, therefore, that in the strange hints de Wardes threw out in my presence there may be a mysterious signification, which I might have some difficulty in applying either to myself or to someone with whom you are acquainted. Being compelled to leave as soon as possible, in obedience to the king's commands, the idea did not occur to me of running after de Wardes in order to ask him to explain his reserve, but I have dispatched a courier to you with this letter, which will explain in detail my various doubts. I regard you as myself. You have reflected and observed. It will be for you to act." Monsieur de Wardes will arrive very shortly. Endeavour to learn what he meant, if you do not already know. 
Monsieur de Wardes, moreover, pretended that the Duke of Buckingham left Paris on the very best of terms with Madame. This was an affair which would have unhesitatingly made me draw my sword, had I not felt I was under the necessity of dispatching the King's mission before undertaking any quarrel whatsoever. Burn this letter, which Olivant will hand you. Whatever Olivant says, you may confidently rely on. Will you have the goodness, my dear Comte, to recall me to the remembrance of Mademoiselle de la Vallière, whose hands I kiss with the greatest respect? Your devoted, de Bragelon. P.S. If anything serious should happen, we should be prepared for everything. Dispatch a courier to me with this one single word, Come, and I will be in Paris within six-and-thirty hours after the receipt of your letter. De Guiche sighed, folded up the letter a third time, and, instead of burning it as Raoul had recommended him to do, placed it in his pocket. He felt it needed reading over and over again. "'How much distress of mind, yet what sublime confidence he shows!' murmured the Comte. "'He has poured out his whole soul in this letter. He says nothing of the Comte de la Fere, and speaks of his respect for Louise. He cautions me on my own account, and entreats me on his.' Ah, continued de Guiche, with a threatening gesture, you interfere in my affairs, Monsieur de Wardes, do you? Very well, then, I will shortly occupy myself with yours. As for you, poor Raoul, you who entrust your heart to my keeping, be assured I will watch over it. With this promise, de Guiche begged Malicorne to come immediately to his apartments, if possible. Malicorne acknowledged the invitation with an activity which was the first result of his conversation with Montalais. And when de Guiche, who thought that his motive was undiscovered, cross-examined Malicorne, the latter, who appeared to be working in the dark, soon guessed his questioner's motives. The consequence was, that after a quarter of an hour's conversation, during which de Guiche thought he had ascertained the whole truth with regard to La Valliere and the king, he had learned absolutely nothing more than his own eyes had already acquainted him with, while Malicorne learned, or guessed, that Raoul, who was absent, was fast becoming suspicious, and that de Guiche intended to watch over the treasure of the Hesperides. Malicorne accepted the office of dragon. De Guiche fancied he had done everything for his friend, and soon began to think of nothing but his personal affairs. The next evening, de Wardes's return and first appearance at the king's reception was announced. When that visit had been paid, the convalescent waited on Monsieur de Guiche, taking care, however, to be at Monsieur's apartments before the visit took place. End of chapter 11《Chapter Twelve of Louisa de la Valliere. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Louisa de la Valliere by Alexander Dumas. Chapter Twelve. How De Ward was received at court. Monsieur had received de Wardes with that marked favor light and frivolous minds bestow on every novelty that comes in their way. De Wardes, who had been absent for a month, was like fresh fruit to him. To treat him with marked kindness was an infidelity to old friends, and there is always something fascinating in that. Moreover, it was a sort of reparation to de Wardes himself nothing consequently could exceed the favorable notice monsieur took of him the chevalier de lorraine who feared this rival but a little but who respected a character and disposition only too parallel to his own in every particular with the addition of a bulldog courage he did not himself possess received de Wardes with a greater display of regard and affection than even monsieur had done de guiche as we have said was there also but kept in the background 
waiting very patiently until all these interchanges were over. De Wardes, while talking to the others, and even to Monsieur himself, had not for a moment lost sight of de Guiche, who, he instinctively felt, was there on his account. As soon as he had finished with the others, he went up to de Guiche. They exchanged the most courteous compliments, after which de Wardes returned to Monsieur and the other gentlemen. In the midst of these congratulations, Madame was announced. She had been informed of de Wardes' arrival, and, knowing all the details of his voyage and duel, she was not sorry to be present at the remarks she knew would be made, without delay, by one who, she felt assured, was her personal enemy. Two or three of her ladies accompanied her. De Wardes saluted Madame in the most graceful and respectful manner, and, as a commencement of hostilities, announced, in the first place, that he could furnish the Duke of Buckingham's friends with the latest news about him. This was a direct answer to the coldness with which Madame had received him. The attack was a vigorous one, and Madame felt the blow, but without appearing to have even noticed it. He rapidly cast a glance at Monsieur and at de Guiche. The former colored, and the latter turned very pale. Madame alone preserved an unmoved countenance, but as she knew how many unpleasant thoughts and feelings her enemy could awaken in the two persons who were listening to him, she smilingly bent forward towards the traveller, as if to listen to the news he had brought, but he was speaking of other matters. Madame was brave, even to imprudence. If she were to retreat, it would be inviting an attack. So, after the first disagreeable impression had passed away, she returned to the charge. "'Have you suffered much from your wounds, Monsieur de Wardes?' she inquired. "'For we have been told that you had the misfortune to get wounded.' It was now de Wardes' turn to wince. He bit his lips and replied, "'No, madame, hardly at all.' "'Indeed, and yet in this terribly hot weather. The sea breezes were very fresh and cool, madame.' and then i had one consolation indeed what was it the knowledge that my adversary's sufferings were still greater than my own ah you mean he was more seriously wounded than you were i was not aware of that said the princess with utter indifference oh madame you are mistaken or rather you pretend to misunderstand my remark i did not say that he was a greater sufferer in body than myself but his heart was very seriously affected. De Guiche comprehended instinctively from what direction the struggle was approaching. He ventured to make a sign to Madame, as if entreating her to retire from the contest. But she, without acknowledging de Guiche's gesture, without pretending to have noticed it even, and still smiling, continued, Is it possible, she said, that the Duke of Buckingham's heart was touched? i had no idea until now that a heart wound could be cured alas madame replied de wardes politely every woman believes that and it is this belief that gives them that superiority to man which confidence begets you misunderstand altogether dearest said the prince impatiently monsieur de wardes means that the duke of buckingham's heart had been touched not by the sword but by something sharper ah very good very good exclaimed madame it is a jest of monsieur de wardes very good 
but i should like to know if the duke of buckingham would appreciate the jest it is indeed a very great pity he is not here monsieur de wart the young man's eyes seemed to flash fire oh he said as he clenched his teeth there is nothing i should like better de guiche did not move madame seemed to expect that he would come to her assistance monsieur hesitated the chevalier de lorraine advanced and continued the conversation madame he said de wardes knows perfectly well that for a buckingham's heart to be touched is nothing new and what he has said has already taken place instead of an ally i have two enemies murmured madame two determined enemies and in league with each other and she changed the conversation to change the conversation is as every one knows a right possessed by princes which etiquette requires all to respect the remainder of the conversation was moderate enough in tone the principal actors had rehearsed their parts madame withdrew easily and monsieur who wished to question her on several matters offered her his hand on leaving the chevalier was seriously afraid that an understanding might be established between the husband and wife if he were to leave them quietly together he therefore made his way to monsieur's apartments in order to surprise him on his return and to destroy with a few words all the good impressions madame might have been able to sow in his heart de guiche advanced towards de wardes who was surrounded by a large number of persons and thereby indicated his wish to converse with him de wardes at the same time showing by his looks and by a movement of his head that he perfectly understood him there was nothing in these signs to enable strangers to suppose they were otherwise than upon the most friendly footing de guiche could therefore turn away from him and wait until he was at liberty he had not long to wait for de wardes freed from his questioners approached de guiche and after a fresh salutation they walked side by side together you have made a good impression since your return my dear de wardes said the comte excellent as you see and your spirits are just as lively as ever better and a very great happiness too why not everything is so ridiculous in this world everything so absurd around us you are right you are of my opinion then i should think so and what news do you bring us from yonder i none at all i have come to look for news here but tell me you surely must have seen some people at bologna one of our friends for instance it is no great time ago some people one of our friends your memory is short ah true bragelonne you mean exactly so who was on his way to fulfil a mission with which he was entrusted to king charles the second precisely well then did he not tell you or did not you tell him i do not precisely know what i told him i must confess but i do know what i did not tell him de wardes was finesse itself he perfectly well knew from de guiche's tone and manner which was cold and dignified that the conversation was about to assume a disagreeable turn he resolved to let it take what course it pleased and to keep strictly on his guard may i ask you what you did not tell him inquired de guiche all about la valliere la valliere what is it 
and what was that strange circumstance you seem to have known over yonder, which Bragelonne, who was here on the spot, was not acquainted with? Do you really ask me that, in a serious manner? Nothing more so. What? You, a member of the court, living in Madame's household, a friend of Monsieur's, a guest at their table, the favorite of our lovely princess? Guiche colored violently from anger. What princess are you alluding to, he said? I am only acquainted with one, my dear fellow. I am speaking of Madame herself. Are you devoted to another princess, then? Come, tell me. De Guiche was on the point of launching out, but he saw the drift of the remark. A quarrel was imminent between the two young men. De Ward wished the quarrel to be only in Madame's name, while De Guiche would not accept it except on La Valliere's account. From this moment it became a series of feigned attacks, which would have continued until one of the two had been touched home. De Guiche, therefore, resumed all the self-possession he could command. "'There is not the slightest question in the world of Madame in this matter, my dear de Wardes,' said Guiche, "'but simply of what you were talking about just now. "'What was I saying? "'That you had concealed certain things from Bragelonne. "'Certain things which you know as well as I do,' replied de Wardes. "'No, upon my honor. "'Nonsense!' if you tell me what they are i shall know but not otherwise i swear what i who have just arrived from a distance of sixty leagues and you who have not stirred from this place who have witnessed with your own eyes that which rumor informed me of at calais do you now tell me seriously that you do not know what is it about oh comte this is hardly charitable of you as you like de Ward, but i again repeat i know nothing you are truly discreet well perhaps it is very prudent of you and so you will not tell me anything will not tell me any more than you told bragelonne you are pretending to be deaf i see i am convinced that madame could not possibly have more command over herself than you have double hypocrite murmured guiche to himself you are again returning to the old subject very well then continued de Ward, since we find it so difficult to understand each other about la valliere and bragelonne let us speak about your own affairs nay said de guiche i have no affairs of my own to talk about you have not said anything about me i suppose to bragelonne which you cannot repeat to my face no but understand me guiche that however much i may be ignorant of certain matters i am quite as conversant with others if for instance we were conversing about the intimacies of the duke of buckingham at paris as i did during my journey with the duke i could tell you a great many interesting circumstances would you like me to mention them de guiche passed his hand over his forehead which was covered in perspiration no no he said a hundred times no i have no curiosity for matters which do not concern me the duke of buckingham is for me nothing more than a simple acquaintance whilst raoul is an intimate friend i have not the slightest curiosity to learn what happened to the duke while i have on the contrary the greatest interest in all that happened to raoul in paris yes in paris or bologna you understand i am on the spot if anything should happen i am here to meet it 
whilst Raoul is absent and has only myself to represent him, so Raoul's affairs before my own. But he will return? Not, however, until his mission is completed. In the meantime, you understand, evil reports cannot be permitted to circulate about him without my looking into them, and for a better reason still that he will remain some time in London, said de Wardes, chuckling. You think so? said de Guiche simply. Think so, indeed. Do you suppose he was sent to London for no other purpose than to go there and return again immediately? No, no, he was sent to London to remain there. Ah, de Wardes, said de Guiche, grasping de Wardes' hand, that is a very serious suspicion concerning Bragelonne, which completely confirms what he wrote to me from Bologna. De Wardes resumed his former coldness of manner. His love of raillery had led him too far, and by his own imprudence he had laid himself open to attack. Well, tell me, what did he write to you about? he inquired. He told me that you had artfully insinuated some injurious remarks against La Valliere, and that you had seemed to laugh at his great confidence in that young girl. Well, it is perfectly true I did so, said de Wardes, and I was quite ready at the time to hear from the Vicomte de Bragelonne that which every man expects from another whenever anything may have been said to displease him. In the same way, for instance, if I were seeking a quarrel with you, I should tell you that Madame, after having shown the greatest preference for the Duke of Buckingham, is at this moment supposed to have sent the handsome Duke away for your benefit. Oh, that would not wound me in the slightest degree, my dear de Wardes, said de Guiche, smiling, notwithstanding the shiver that ran through his whole frame. Why, such a favor would be too great a happiness. I admit that, but if I absolutely wish to quarrel with you, I should try and invent a falsehood, perhaps, and speak to you about a certain arbor where you and that illustrious princess were together. I should speak also of certain gratifications, of certain kissings of the hand, and you who are so secret on all occasions, so hasty, so punctilious. Well, said de Guiche, interrupting him, with a smile upon his lips, although he almost felt as if he were going to die i swear i should not care for that nor should i in any way contradict you for you must know my dear marquis that for all matters which concern myself i am a block of ice but it is a very different thing when an absent friend is concerned a friend who on leaving confided his interest to my safe keeping for such a friend de Wardes, believe me i am like fire itself i understand you monsieur de guiche in spite of what you say there cannot be any question between us just now either of bragelonne or of this insignificant girl whose name is la valliere at this moment some of the younger courtiers were crossing the apartment and having already heard the few words which had just been pronounced were able also to hear those which were about to follow de wardes observed this and continued aloud oh if la valliere were a coquette like madame whose innocent flirtations i am sure were first of all the cause of the duke of buckingham being sent back to england and afterwards were the reason of your being sent into exile 
for you will not deny, I suppose, that Madame's pretty ways really had a certain influence over you? The courtiers drew nearer to the speakers, St. Agneau at their head, and then Monicamp. But, my dear fellow, whose fault was that? said de Guiche, laughing. I am a vain, conceited fellow, I know, and everybody else knows it too. I took seriously that which was only intended as a jest, and got myself exiled for my pains. But I saw my error. I overcame my vanity, and I obtained my recall, by making the amende honorable, and by promising myself to overcome this defect and the consequence is that i am so thoroughly cured that i now laugh at the very thing which three or four days ago would have almost broken my heart but raoul is in love and is loved in return he cannot laugh at the reports which disturb his happiness reports which you seem to have undertaken to interpret when you know marquis as i do as these gentlemen do as every one does in fact that all such reports are pure calumny calumny exclaimed de wardes furious at seeing himself caught in the snare by de guiche's coolness of temper certainly calumny look at this letter from him in which he tells me you have spoken ill of mademoiselle de la valliere and where he asks me if what you reported about this young girl is true or not do you wish me to appeal to these gentlemen de wardes to decide and with admirable coolness de guiche read aloud the paragraph of the letter which referred to la valliere and now continued de guiche there is no doubt in the world as far as i am concerned that you wished to disturb bragelonne's peace of mind and that your remarks were maliciously intended de wardes looked round him to see if he could find support from any one but at the idea that de wardes had insulted either directly or indirectly the idol of the day every one shook his head and de wardes saw that he was in the wrong messieurs said de guiche intuitively divining the general feeling my discussion with monsieur de wardes refers to a subject so delicate in its nature that is most important no one should hear more than you have already heard close the doors then i beg you and let us finish our conversation in the manner which becomes two gentlemen one of whom has given the other the lie messieurs messieurs exclaimed those who were present is it your opinion then that i was wrong in defending mademoiselle de la valliere said de guiche in that case i pass judgment upon myself and am ready to withdraw the offensive words i may have used to monsieur de wardes the deuce certainly not said saint agno mademoiselle de la valliere is an angel virtue and purity itself said manicamp you see monsieur de wardes said de guiche i am not the only one who undertakes the defence of that poor girl i entreat you therefore messieurs a second time to leave us you see it is impossible we could be more calm and composed than we are it was the very thing the courtiers wished some went out at one door and the rest at the other and the two young men were left alone well played said de wardes to the comte was it not replied the latter how can it be wondered at my dear fellow i have got quite rusty in the country while the command you have acquired over yourself comte confounds me a man always gains something in women's society so pray accept my congratulations i do accept them 
and I will make Madame a present of them. And now, my dear Monsieur de Wardes, let us speak as loud as you please. Do not defy me. I do defy you, for you are known to be an evil-minded man. If you do that, you will be looked upon as a coward, too. And Monsieur would have you hanged, this evening, at his window casement. Speak, my dear de Wardes, speak. I have fought already, but not quite enough yet. I see you would not be sorry to fight me while my wounds are still open. No, better still. The deuce, you are unfortunate in the moment you have chosen. A duel, after the one I have just fought, would hardly suit me. I have lost too much blood at Bologna. At the slightest effort my wounds would open again. And you would really have too good a bargain. True, said de Guiche, and yet on your arrival here your looks and your arms showed there was nothing the matter with you. Yes, my arms are all right, but my legs are weak, and then I have not had a foil in my hand since that devil of a duel. And you, I am sure, have been fencing every day in order to carry your little conspiracy against me to a successful issue. Upon my honor, monsieur, replied de Guiche, it is six months since I last practised no comte after due reflection i will not fight at least with you i will await bragelonne's return since you say it is bragelonne who finds fault with me oh no indeed you shall not wait until bragelonne's return exclaimed the comte losing all command over himself for you have said that bragelonne might possibly be some time before he returns and in the meanwhile your wicked insinuations would have had their effect yet i shall have my excuse so take care i shall give you a week to finish your recovery that is better we will wait a week yes yes i understand a week will give time to my adversary to make his escape no no i will not give you one day even you are mad monsieur said de wardes retreating a step and you are a coward if you do not fight willingly nay what is more i will denounce you to the king as having refused to fight after having insulted la valliere ah said de wardes you are dangerously treacherous though you pass for a man of honor there is nothing more dangerous than the treachery as you term it of the man whose conduct is always loyal and upright restore me the use of my legs then or get yourself bled till you are as white as i am as to equalize our chances no no i have something better than that to propose what is it we will fight on horseback and will exchange three pistol shots each you are a first-rate marksman i have seen you bring down swallows with single balls and at full gallop do not deny it for i have seen you myself i believe you are right said de wardes and as that is the case it is not unlikely i might kill you you would be rendering me a very great service if you did i will do my best is it agreed give me your hand upon it there it is but on one condition however name it that not a word shall be said about it to the king not a word i swear i will go and get my horse then and i mine where shall we meet in the plain i know an admirable place shall we go together why not and both of them on their way to the stables passed beneath madame's windows which were faintly lighted a shadow could be seen behind the lace curtains 
there is a woman said de wardes smiling who does not suspect that we are going to fight to die perhaps on her account end of chapter twelve recording by dion gines salt lake city utah chapter thirteen of louisa de la valliere this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by dion gines louisa de la valliere by alexandra dumas chapter thirteen the combat de wade and de guiche selected their horses and saddled them with their own hands with holster saddles de guiche having two pairs of pistols went to his apartments to get them and after having loaded them gave the choice to de wade who selected the pair he had made use of twenty times before the same indeed with which de guiche had seen him kill swallows flying you will not be surprised he said if i take every precaution you know the weapons well and consequently i am only making the chances equal your remark was quite useless replied de guiche and you have done no more than you are entitled to do now said de wade i beg you to have the goodness to help me mount for i still experience a little difficulty in doing so in that case we had better settle the matter on foot no once in the saddle i shall be all right very good then we will not speak of it again said de guiche as he assisted de wade to mount his horse and now continued the young man in our eagerness to murder one another we have neglected one circumstance what is that that it is quite dark and we shall almost be obliged to grope about in order to kill oh said de guiche you are as anxious as i am that everything should be done in the proper order yes but i do not wish people to say that you have assassinated me any more than supposing i were to kill you i should myself like to be accused of such a crime did any one make a similar remark about your duel with the duke of buckingham said de guiche it took place precisely under the same conditions as ours very true but there was still light enough to see by and we were up to our middles almost in the water besides there were a good number of spectators on shore looking at us de guiche reflected for a moment and the thought which had already presented itself to him became more confirmed that de wade wished to have witnesses present in order to bring back the conversation about madame and to give a new turn to the combat he avoided saying a word in reply therefore and as de wade once more looked at him interrogatively he replied by a movement of the head that it would be best to let things remain as they were the two adversaries consequently set off and left the chateau by the same gate close to which we may remember to have seen montalais and malicon together the night as if to counteract the extreme heat of the day had gathered the clouds together in masses which were moving slowly along from the west to the east the vault above without a clear spot anywhere visible or without the faintest indication of thunder seemed to hang heavily over the earth and soon began by the force of the wind to split into streamers like a huge sheet torn to shreds large and warm drops of rain began to fall heavily and gathered the dust into globules which rolled along the ground at the same time the hedges which seemed conscious of the approaching storm 
the thirsty plants the drooping branches of the trees exhaled a thousand aromatic odors which revived in the mind tender recollections thoughts of youth endless life happiness and love how fresh the earth smells said de it is a piece of coquetry to draw us to her by the by replied de guiche several ideas have just occurred to me and i wish to have your opinion upon them relative to relative to our engagement it is quite some time in fact that we should begin to arrange matters is it to be an ordinary combat and conducted according to established custom let me first know what your established custom is that we dismount in any particular open space that may suit us fasten our horses to the nearest object meet each without our pistols in our hands and afterwards retire for a hundred and fifty paces in order to advance on each other very good that is precisely the way in which i killed poor foliva three weeks ago at saint denis i beg your pardon but you forgot one circumstance what is that that in your duel with foliva you advanced towards each other on foot your swords between your teeth and your pistols in your hands true while now on the contrary as you cannot walk you yourself admit that we shall have to mount our horses again and charge and the first who wishes to fire will do so that is the best course no doubt but it is quite dark we must make allowances for more missed shots than would be the case in the daytime very well each will fire three times the pair of pistols already loaded and one reload excellent where shall our engagement take place have you any preference no you see that small wood which lies before us the wood which is called rochine exactly you know it perfectly you know that there is an open glade in the centre yes well this glade is admirably adapted for such a purpose with a variety of roads by-paths paths ditches windings and avenues we could not find a better spot i am perfectly satisfied if you are so we are at our destination if i am not mistaken yes look at the beautiful open space in the centre the faint light which the stars afford seems concentrated in this spot the woods which surround it seem with their barriers to form its natural limits very good do as you say let us first settle the conditions these are mine if you have any objection to make you will state it i am listening if the horse be killed its rider will be obliged to fight on foot that is a matter of course since we have no change of horses here but that does not oblige his adversary to dismount his adversary will in fact be free to act as he likes the adversaries having once met in close contact cannot quit each other under any circumstances and may consequently fire muzzle the muzzle agreed three shots and no more will do i suppose quite sufficient i think here are powder and balls for your pistols measure out three charges take three balls i will do the same then we will throw the rest of the powder and balls away and we will solemnly swear said de wide that we have neither balls nor powder about us agreed and i swear it said de guiche holding his hand towards heaven a gesture which de wade imitated and now my dear comte said de wade allow me to tell you that i am in no way your dupe 
you already are or soon will be the accepted lover of madame i have detected your secret and you are afraid i shall tell others of it you wish to kill me to ensure my silence that is very clear and in your place i should do the same de guiche hung down his head only continued de wade triumphantly was it really worth while tell me to throw this affair of bragelonne's on my shoulders but take care my dear fellow in bringing the wild boar to bay you enrage him to madness in running down the fox you endow him with the ferocity of the jaguar the consequence is that brought to bay by you i shall defend myself to the very last you will be quite right to do so yes but take care i shall work more harm than you think in the first place as a beginning you will readily suppose that i have not been absurd enough to lock up my secret or your secret rather in my own breast there is a friend of mine who resembles me in every way a man whom you know very well who shares my secret with me so pray understand that if you kill me my death will not have been of much service to you whilst on the contrary if i kill you and everything is possible you know you understand de guiche shuddered if i kill you continued de wade you will have secured two mortal enemies to madame who will do their very utmost to ruin her oh monsieur exclaimed de guiche furiously do not reckon upon my death so easily of the two enemies you speak of i trust most heartily to dispose of one immediately and the other at the earliest opportunity the only reply de wade made was a burst of laughter so diabolical in its sound that a superstitious man would have been terrified but de guiche was not so impressionable as that i think he said that everything is now settled monsieur de wardes so have the goodness to take your place first unless you would prefer me to do so by no means said de wardes i shall be delighted to save you the slightest trouble and spurring his horse to a gallop he crossed the wide open space and took his stand at the point of the circumference of the cross-road immediately opposite to where de guiche was stationed de guiche remained motionless at this distance of a hundred paces the two adversaries were absolutely invisible to each other being completely concealed by the thick shade of elms and chestnuts a minute elapsed amidst the profoundest silence at the end of the minute each of them in the deep shade in which he was concealed heard the double click of the trigger as they put the pistols on full cock de guiche adopting the usual tactics put his horse to a gallop persuaded that he should render his safety doubly sure by the movement as well as by the speed of the animal he directed his course in a straight line towards the point where in his opinion de wade would be stationed and he expected to meet de wade about halfway but in this he was mistaken he continued his course presuming that his adversary was impatiently awaiting his approach when however he had gone about two-thirds of the distance he beheld the trees suddenly illuminated and a ball flew by cutting the plume of his hat in two nearly at the same moment and as if the flash of the first shot had served to indicate the direction of the other a second report was heard and a second ball passed through the head of de guiche's horse a little below the ear the animal fell these two reports proceeding from the very opposite direction in which he expected to find de wade surprised him a great deal but as he was a man of amazing self-possession he prepared himself for his horse falling 
but not so completely, however, that the toe of his boot escaped being caught under the animal as it fell. Very fortunately, the horse in its dying agonies moved so as to enable him to release the leg, which was less entangled than the other. De Guiche rose, felt himself all over, and found that he was not wounded. At the very moment he had felt the horse tottering under him, he placed his pistols in the holsters, afraid that the force of the fall might explode one at least, if not both of them, by which he would have been disarmed and left utterly without defense. Once on his feet he took the pistols out of the holsters and advanced toward the spot where, by the light of the flash, he had seen De Wad appear. De Wad had, at the first shot, accounted for the maneuver, than which nothing could have been simpler. Instead of advancing to meet De Guiche, or remaining in his place to await his approach, De Wad had, for about fifteen paces, followed the circle of the shadow which hid him from his adversary's observation, and at the very moment when the latter presented his flank in his career, he had fired from the place where he stood, taking careful aim, and assisted instead of being inconvenienced by the horse's gallop. It has been seen that, notwithstanding the darkness, the first ball passed hardly more than an inch above de Guiche's head. De Wad had so confidently relied upon his aim that he thought he had seen de Guiche fall. His astonishment was extreme, when he saw he still remained erect in his saddle. He hastened to fire his second shot, but his hand trembled, and he killed the horse instead. It would be a most fortunate chance for him if de Guiche were to remain held fast under the animal. Before he could have freed himself, de Wad would have loaded his pistol, and had de Guiche at his mercy. But de Guiche, on the contrary, was up, and had three shots to fire. De Guiche immediately understood the position of affairs. It would be necessary to exceed de Wad in rapidity of execution. He advanced, therefore, so as to reach him, before he should have had time to reload his pistol. De Wad saw him approaching like a tempest. The ball was rather tight and offered some resistance to the ramrod. To load carelessly would be simply to lose his last chance. To take the proper care in loading meant fatal loss of time, or rather throwing away his life. He made his horse bound on one side. De Guiche turned round also, and, at the moment the horse was quiet again, fired, and the ball carried off De Wad's hat from his head. De Wad now knew that he had a moment's time at his own disposal. He availed himself of it in order to finish loading his pistol. De Guiche, noticing that his adversary did not fall, threw the pistol he had just discharged aside, and walked straight toward De Wad, elevating the second pistol as he did so. He had hardly proceeded more than two or three paces, when De Wad took aim at him as he was walking and fired. An exclamation of anger was De Guiche's answer. The comte's arm contracted and dropped motionless by his side, and the pistol fell from his grasp. His anxiety was excessive. "'I am lost,' murmured de Wad. "'He is not mortally wounded.' At the very moment, however, de Guiche was about to raise his pistol against de Wad. The head, shoulders, and limbs of the comte seemed to collapse. He heaved a deep-drawn sigh, tottered, and fell at the feet of de Wad's horse. "'That is all right,' said de Wad, and gathering up the reins, he struck his spurs into the horse's sides. The horse cleared the comte's motionless body, and bore de Wad rapidly back to the chateau. When he arrived there, he remained a quarter of an hour, deliberating within himself as to the proper course to be adopted. 
in his impatience to leave the field of battle he had omitted to ascertain whether de guiche were dead or not a double hypothesis presented itself to de wad's agitated mind either de guiche was killed or de guiche was wounded only if he were killed why should he leave his body in that manner to the tender mercies of the wolves it was a perfectly useless piece of cruelty for if de guiche were dead he certainly could not breathe a syllable of what had passed if he were not killed why should he de wad in leaving him there uncared for allow himself to be regarded as a savage incapable of one generous feeling this last consideration determined his line of conduct de wad immediately instituted inquiries after monicom he was told that monicom had been looking after de guiche and not knowing where to find him had retired to bed de wad went and awoke the sleeper without any delay and related the whole affair to him which monicom listened to in perfect silence but with an expression of momentarily increasing energy of which his face could hardly have been supposed capable it was only when de wad had finished that manicom uttered the words let us go as they proceeded manicom became more and more excited and in proportion as de wad related the details of the affair to him his countenance assumed every moment a darker expression and so he said when de wad had finished you think he is dead alas i do and you fought in that manner without witnesses he insisted upon it it is very singular what do you mean by saying it is singular that it is very unlike monsieur de guiche's disposition you do not doubt my word i suppose come come you do doubt it then a little but i shall doubt it more than ever i warn you if i find the poor fellow is really dead monsieur manicombe monsieur de wad it seems you intend to insult me just as you please the fact is i never did like people who come and say i have killed such and such a gentleman in a corner it is a great pity but i killed him in a perfectly honorable manner it has an ugly appearance monsieur de wad silence we have arrived in fact the glade could now be seen and in the open space lay the motionless body of the dead horse to the right of the horse upon the dark grass with his face against the ground the poor comte lay bathed in his blood he had remained in the same spot and did not even seem to have made the slightest movement manicom threw himself on his knees lifted the comte in his arms and found him quite cold and steeped in blood he let him gently fall again then stretching out his hand and feeling all over the ground close to where the comte lay he sought until he found de guiche's pistol by heaven he said rising to his feet pale as death and with the pistol in his hand you are not mistaken he is quite dead dead repeated de wad yes and his pistol is still loaded added monicom looking into the pan but i told you that i took aim as he was walking towards me and fired at him at the very moment he was going to fire at me are you quite sure that you fought with him monsieur de wad i confess that i am very much afraid it has been a foul assassination nay nay no exclamations you have had your three shots and his pistol is still loaded you have killed his horse and he de guiche one of the best marksmen in france has not touched even either your horse or yourself well monsieur de wade you have been very unlucky in bringing me here all the blood in my body seems to have mounted to my head and i verily believe that since so good an opportunity presents itself 
I shall blow your brains out on the spot. So, Monsieur de Wade, recommend yourself to heaven. Monsieur Manicom, you cannot think of such a thing. On the contrary, I am thinking of it very strongly. Would you assassinate me? Without the slightest remorse, at least for the present. Are you a gentleman? I have given a great many proofs of that. Let me defend my life, then, at least. Very likely, in order, I suppose, that you may do to me what you have done to poor de Guiche. And Manicom slowly raised his pistol to the height of de Wade's breast, and with arms stretched out and a fixed, determined look on his face, took a careful aim. De Wade did not attempt a flight. He was completely terrified. In the midst, however, of this horrible silence, which lasted about a second, but which seemed an age to de Wade, a faint sigh was heard. Oh, exclaimed de Wade, he still lives. Help, de Guiche, I am about to be assassinated. Manicom fell back a step or two, and the two young men saw the comte raise himself slowly and painfully upon one hand. Manicom threw the pistol away a dozen paces and ran to his friend, uttering a cry of delight. De Wade wiped his forehead, which was covered with a cold perspiration. It was just in time, he murmured. Where are you hurt? inquired Manicom of de Guiche, and whereabouts are you wounded? De Guiche showed him his mutilated hand and his chest covered with blood. Comte, exclaimed de Wade, I am accused of having assassinated you. Speak, I implore you, and say that I fought loyally. Perfectly so, said the wounded man. Monsieur de Wade fought quite loyally, and whoever says the contrary will make an enemy of me. Then, sir, said Manicom, assist me in the first place to carry this gentleman home, and I will afterwards give you every satisfaction you please. Or, if you are in a hurry, you can do better still. Let us staunch the blood from the comte's wounds here, with your pocket-handkerchief and mine, and then, as there are two shots left, we can have them between us. Thank you, said de Wade. Twice already in one hour I have seen death too close at hand to be agreeable. I don't like his look at all, and I prefer your apologies. Manicom burst out laughing, and Guiche, too, in spite of his sufferings. The two young men wished to carry him, but he declared he felt quite strong enough to walk alone. The ball had broken his ring finger and his little finger, and then had glanced along his side, but without penetrating deeply into his chest. It was the pain rather than the seriousness of the wound, therefore, which had overcome de Guiche. Manicom passed his arm under one of the Count's shoulders, and Duade did the same with the other, and in this way they brought him back to Fontainebleau, to the house of the same doctor, who had been present at the death of the Franciscan, Aramis's predecessor. End of chapter 13. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Chapter 14 of Louisa de la Valliere this is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Louisa de la Valliere by Alexander Dumas. Chapter 14. The King's Supper. The king, while these matters were being arranged, was sitting at the supper table, and the not very large number of guests for that day had taken their seats too, after the usual gesture intimating the royal permission. At this period of Louis the Fourteenth's reign, although etiquette was not governed by the strict regulations subsequently adopted, 
the French court had entirely thrown aside the traditions of good fellowships and patriarchal affability existing in the time of Henry IV, which the suspicious mind of Louis XIII had gradually replaced with pompous state and ceremony, which he despaired of being able fully to realize. The king, therefore, was seated alone at a small separate table, which, like the desk of a president, overlooked the adjoining tables. Although we say a small table, we must not omit to add that this small table was the largest one there. Moreover, it was the one on which were placed the greatest number and quantity of dishes, consisting of fish, game, meat, fruit, vegetables, and preserves. The king was young and full of vigor and energy, very fond of hunting, addicted to all violent exercises of the body, possessing, besides, like all members of the Bourbon family, a rapid digestion and an appetite speedily renewed. Louis the Fourteenth was a formidable table companion. He delighted in criticizing his cooks, but when he honored them by praise and commendation, the honor was overwhelming the king began by eating several kinds of soup either mixed together or taken separately he intermixed or rather separated each of the soups by a glass of old wine he ate quickly and somewhat greedily porthos who from the beginning had out of respect been waiting for a jog of d'artagnan's arm seeing the king make such rapid progress turned to the musketeer and said in a low voice it seems as if one might go on now his majesty is very encouraging from the example he sets look the king eats said d'artagnan but he talks at the same time try and manage matters in such a manner that if he should happen to address a remark to you he will not find you with your mouth full which would be very disrespectful the best way in that case said porthos is to eat no supper at all and yet i am very hungry i admit and everything looks and smells most invitingly as if appealing to all my senses at once don't think of not eating for a moment said d'artagnan that would put his majesty out terribly the king has a saying that he who works well eats well and he does not like people to eat indifferently at his table how can i avoid having my mouth full if i eat said porthos all you have to do replied the captain of the musketeers is simply to swallow what you have in it whenever the king does you the honor to address a remark to you very good said porthos and from that moment he began to eat with a certain well-bred enthusiasm the king occasionally looked at the different persons who were at table with him and an connoisseur could appreciate the different dispositions of his guests monsieur du vallon he said Porthos was enjoying a salmi de lievre and swallowed half of the back his name pronounced in such a manner made him start and by a vigorous effort of his gullet he absorbed the whole mouthful sire replied Porthos in a stifled voice but sufficiently intelligible nevertheless let those fillets d'agneau be handed to monsieur du vallon said the king do you like brown meats monsieur du vallon sire i like everything replied porthos d'artagnan whispered everything your majesty sends me porthos repeated everything your majesty sends me an observation which the king apparently received with great satisfaction people eat well who work well replied the king delighted to have in tete a tete a guest who could eat as porthos did 
Porthos received the dish of lamb, and put a portion of it on his plate. Well, said the king. Exquisite, said Porthos calmly. Have you as good mutton in your part of the country, Monsieur du Vallon? continued the king. Sire, I believe that from my own province, as everywhere else, the best of everything is sent to Paris for your majesty's use. But on the other hand, I do not eat lamb in the same way your majesty does. Ah, ah! and how do you eat it generally i have a lamb dressed whole whole yes sire in what manner monsieur du vallon in this sire my cook who is a german first stuffs the lamb in question with small sausages he procures from strasbourg force-meat balls from troyes and larks from pithivier by some means or other which i am not acquainted with he bones the lamb as he would do a fowl leaving the skin on however which forms a brown crust all over the animal when it is cut in beautiful slices in the same way as an enormous sausage a rose-colored gravy pours forth which is as agreeable to the eye as it is exquisite to the palate and porthos finished by smacking his lips the king opened his eyes with delight and while cutting some of the fessano duve which was handed to him he said that is a dish i should very much like to taste monsieur du vallon is it possible a whole lamb absolutely an entire lamb sire pass those pheasants to monsieur du vallon i perceive he is an amateur the order was immediately obeyed then continuing the conversation he said and you do not find the lamb too fat no sire the fat falls down at the same time as the gravy does and swims on the surface then the servant who carves removes the fat with a spoon which i have had expressly made for that purpose where do you reside inquired the king at pierrefonds sire at pierrefonds where is that monsieur du vallon near belle isle oh no sire pierrefonds is in the Sosonnet. i thought you alluded to the lamb on account of the salt marshes no sire i have marshes which are not salt it is true but which are not the less valuable on that account the king had now arrived at the entremont but without losing sight of porthos who continued to play his part in the best manner you have an excellent appetite monsieur du vallon said the king and you make an admirable guest at table ah sire if your majesty were ever to pay a visit to pierrefonds we would both of us eat our lamb together for your appetite is not an indifferent one by any means. D'Artagnan gave Porthos a kick under the table, which made Porthos color up. At your majesty's present happy age, said Porthos, in order to repair the mistake he had made, I was in the musketeers, and nothing could ever satisfy me then. Your majesty has an excellent appetite, as I have already had the honor of mentioning, but you select what you eat with quite too much refinement to be called for one moment a great eater the king seemed charmed at his guest's politeness will you try some of these creams he said to porthos sire your majesty treats me with far too much kindness to prevent me speaking the whole truth pray do so monsieur du vallon well sire with regard to sweet dishes i only recognize pastry and even that should be rather solid all these frothy substances swell the stomach and occupy a space which seems to me to be too precious to be so badly tenanted ah gentlemen said the king indicating porthos by a gesture here is indeed a model of gastronomy 
it was in such a manner that our fathers who so well knew what good living was used to eat while we added his majesty do nothing but tantalize with our stomachs and as he spoke he took the breast of a chicken with ham while porthos attacked a dish of partridges and quails the cupbearer filled his majesty's glass give monsieur du vallon some of my wine said the king this was one of the greatest honors of the royal table d'artagnan pressed his friend's knee if you could only manage to swallow the half of that boar's head i see yonder said he to porthos i shall believe you to be a duke and peer within the next twelve months presently said porthos phlegmatically i shall come to that by and by in fact it was not long before it came to the boar's turn for the king seemed to take pleasure in urging on his guest he did not pass any of the dishes to porthos until he had tasted them himself and he accordingly took some of the boar's head porthos showed that he could keep pace with his sovereign and instead of eating the half as d'artagnan had told him he ate three-fourths of it it is impossible said the king in an undertone that a gentleman who eats so good a supper every day and who has such beautiful teeth can be otherwise than the most straightforward upright man in my kingdom do you hear said d'artagnan in his friend's ear yes i think i am rather in favor said porthos balancing himself on his chair oh you are in luck's way the king and porthos continued to eat in the same manner to the great satisfaction of the other guests some of whom from emulation had attempted to follow them but were obliged to give up halfway the king soon began to get flushed and the reaction of the blood to his face announced that the moment of repletion had arrived it was then that louis the fourteenth instead of becoming gay and cheerful as most good livers generally do became dull melancholy and taciturn porthos on the contrary was lively and communicative d'artagnan's foot had more than once to remind him of this peculiarity of the king the dessert now made its appearance the king had ceased to think anything further of porthos he turned his eyes anxiously towards the entrance door and he was heard occasionally to inquire how it happened that monsieur de saint-aignan was so long in arriving at last at the moment when his majesty was finishing a pot of preserved plums with a deep sigh saint-aignan appeared the king's eyes which had become somewhat dull immediately began to sparkle the comte advanced towards the king's table and louis rose at his approach every one got up at the same time including porthos who was just finishing an almond cake capable of making the jaws of a crocodile stick together the supper was over end of chapter fourteen recording by dion gines salt lake city utah chapter fifteen of louise de la valliere this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson Louise de la Valliere by Alexandre Dumas Chapter 15. After Supper The king took Saint-Aignan by the arm and passed into the adjoining apartment. "'What has detained you, Comte?' said the king. "'I was bringing the answer, sire,' replied the Comte. "'She has taken a long time to reply to what I wrote her sire your majesty deigned to write in verse and mademoiselle de la valliere wished to repay your majesty in the same coin that is to say in gold 
Verses, Saint-Agnon, exclaimed the king in ecstasy. Give them to me at once. And Louis broke the seal of a little letter, enclosing the verses which history has preserved entire for us, and which are more meritorious in invention than in execution. Such as they were, however, the king was enchanted with them, and exhibited his satisfaction by unequivocal transports of delight. But the universal silence which reigned in the rooms warned Louis, so sensitively particular with regard to good breeding, that his delight must give rise to various interpretations. He turned aside and put the note in his pocket, and then advancing a few steps, which brought him again to the threshold of the door close to his guests, he said, Monsieur du Vallon, I have seen you to-day with the greatest pleasure, and my pleasure will be equally great to see you again. Porthos bowed, as the Colossus of Rhodes would have done, and retired from the room with his face towards the king. Monsieur d'Artagnan, continued the king, you will await my orders in the gallery. I am obliged to you for having made me acquainted with Monsieur du Vallon. Gentlemen, addressing himself to the other guests, I return to Paris to-morrow on account of the departure of the Spanish and Dutch ambassadors. Until to-morrow, then. The apartment was immediately cleared of the guests. The king took Saint-Agnon by the arm, made him read La Valliere's verses over again, and said, What do you think of them? Charming, sire. They charm me, in fact, as if they were known. Oh, the professional poets would be jealous of them. But it was not likely they will know anything about them. Did you give her mine? Oh, sire, she positively devoured them. They were very weak, I am afraid. That is not what Mademoiselle de la Valliere said of them. Do you think she was pleased with them? I am sure of it, sire. I must answer then. Oh, sire, immediately after supper? Your majesty will fatigue yourself. You are quite right. Study after eating is notoriously injurious. The labour of a poet especially so, and besides, there is great excitement prevailing at Mademoiselle de la Valliere's. What do you mean? With her, as with all the ladies of the court. Why? On account of poor de Guiche's accident. Has anything serious happened to de Guiche, then? Yes, sire, he has one hand nearly destroyed, a hole in his breast. In fact, he is dying. Good heavens, who told you that? Manicorn brought him back just now to the house of a doctor, here in Fontainebleau, and the rumour soon reached us all. Brought back? Poor de Guiche, how did it happen? Ah, that is the very question. How did it happen? You say that in a very singular manner, Saint-Aignan. Give me the details. What does he say himself? He says nothing, sire, but others do. What others? Those who brought him back, sire. Who are they? I do not know, sire, but Monsieur de Manicon knows. Monsieur de Manicon is one of his friends. As everybody is, indeed, said the king. Oh, no, returned Saint-Aignan. You are mistaken, sire. Everyone is not precisely a friend of Monsieur de Guiche. How do you know that? Does your majesty require me to explain myself? Certainly I do. Well, sire, I believe I have heard something said about a quarrel between two gentlemen. When? This very evening, before your majesty's supper was served. That can hardly be. I have issued such stringent and severe ordinances with respect to duelling that no one, I presume, would dare to disobey them. "'In that case, heaven preserve me from excusing any one,' exclaimed Saint-Agnan. "'Your Majesty commanded me to speak, and I spoke accordingly. "'Tell me, then, in what way the Comte de Guiche has been wounded.' "'Sire, it is said to have been at a boar-hunt. "'This evening?' 
"'Yes, sire. One of his hands shattered and a hole in his breast. Who was at the hunt with Monsieur de Guiche? I do not know, sire, but Monsieur de Manicon knows, or ought to know. You are concealing something from me, Saint-Aignan. Nothing, sire, I assure you. Then explain to me how the accident happened. Was it a musket that burst? Very likely, sire, but yet, on reflection, it could hardly have been that, for de Guiche's pistol was found close by him, still loaded. His pistol? But a man does not go to a boar hunt with a pistol, I should think. Sire, it is also said that de Guiche's horse was killed, and that the horse is still to be found in the wide open glade in the forest. His horse? Guiche go on horseback to a boar hunt? Saint-Aignan, I do not understand a syllable of what you have been telling me. Where did this affair happen? At the Rond-Point, in that part of the forest called the bois Rochard. That will do. Call Monsieur d'Artagnan. Saint-Aignan obeyed, and the musketeer entered. Monsieur d'Artagnan, said the king, you will leave this place by the little door of the private staircase. Yes, sire. You will mount your horse. Yes, sire. You will proceed to the Rond-Point du bois Rochard. Do you know the spot? Yes, sire. I have fought there twice. What? exclaimed the king, amazed at the reply. Under the edict, sire, of Cardinal Richelieu, returned D'Artagnan, with his usual impassibility. That is very different, monsieur. You will, therefore, go there, and will examine the locality very carefully. A man has been wounded there, and you will find a horse lying dead. You will tell me what your opinion is upon the whole affair. Very good, sire. As a matter of course, it is your own opinion I require, and not that of any one else. You shall have it in an hour's time, sire. I prohibit your speaking with any one, whoever it may be, except with the person who must give me a lantern, said D'Artagnan. Ah, that is a matter of course, said the king, laughing at the liberty, which he tolerated in no one but his captain of the musketeers. D'Artagnan left by the little staircase. Now, let my physician be sent for, said Louis. Ten minutes afterwards the king's physician arrived, quite out of breath. "'You will go, monsieur,' said the king to him, "'and accompany monsieur de Saint-Aignan, wherever he may take you. "'You will render me an account of the state of the person you may see "'in the house you will be taken to.' "'The physician obeyed without a remark, "'as at that time people began to obey Louis the Fourteenth, "'and left the room preceding Saint-Aignan. "'Do you, Saint-Aignan, send Manicon to me, "'before the physician can possibly have spoken to him?' "'And Saint-Aignan left in his turn.' End of chapter 15
who in moments of difficulty pride themselves on increasing their own value by dint of hard galloping he in less than five minutes reached the wood fastened his horse to the first tree he came to and penetrated to the broad open space on foot he then began to inspect most carefully on foot and with his lantern in his hand the whole surface of the rond-point went forward turned back again measured examined and after half an hour's minute inspection he returned silently to where he had left his horse and pursued his way in deep reflection and at a foot-pace to fontainebleau louis was waiting in his cabinet he was alone and with a pencil was scribbling on paper certain lines which d'artagnan at the first glance recognized as unequal and very much touched up the conclusion he arrived at was that they must be verses the king raised his head and perceived d'artagnan well monsieur he said do you bring me any news yes sire what have you seen as far as probability goes sire d'artagnan began to reply it was certainty i requested of you i will approach it as near as i possibly can the weather was very well adapted for investigations of the character i have just made it has been raining this evening and the roads were wet and muddy well the result monsieur d'artagnan sire your majesty told me that there was a horse lying dead in the crossroad of the bois rochin and i began therefore by studying the roads i say the roads because the centre of the crossroad is reached by four separate roads the one that i myself took was the only one that presented any fresh traces two horses had followed it side by side their eight feet were marked very distinctly in the clay one of the riders was more impatient than the other for the footprints of the one were invariably in advance of the other about half a horse's length are you quite sure they were travelling together said the king yes sire the horses are two rather large animals of equal pace horses well used to manoeuvres of all kinds for they wheeled round the barrier of the rond-point together well and after the two cavaliers paused there for a minute no doubt to arrange the conditions of the engagement the horses grew restless and impatient one of the riders spoke while the other listened and seemed to have contented himself by simply answering his horse pawed the ground which proves that his attention was so taken up by listening that he let the bridle fall from his hand a hostile meeting did take place then undoubtedly continue you are a very accurate observer one of the two cavaliers remained where he was standing the one in fact who had been listening the other crossed the open space and at first placed himself directly opposite to his adversary the one who had remained stationary traversed the rond-point at a gallop about two-thirds of its length thinking that by this means he would gain upon his opponent but the latter had followed the circumference of the wood you are ignorant of their names i suppose completely so sire only he who followed the circumference of the wood was mounted on a black horse how do you know that i found a few hairs of his tail among the brambles which bordered the side of the ditch go on as for the other horse there can be no trouble in describing him since he was left dead on the field of battle and what was the cause of his death a ball which passed through his brain was the ball that of a pistol or a gun it was a pistol bullet sire besides the manner in which the horse was wounded explained to me the tactics of the man who had killed it 
he had followed the circumference of the wood in order to take his adversary in flank. Moreover, I followed his foot-tracks on the grass. The tracks of the black horse, do you mean? Yes, sire. Go on, Monsieur d'Artagnan. As your majesty now perceives the position of the two adversaries, I will, for a moment, leave the cavalier who had remained stationary for the one who started off at a gallop. Do so. The horse of the cavalier who rode at full speed was killed on the spot. How do you know that? The cavalier had not time even to throw himself off his horse, and so fell with it. I observed the impression of his leg, which, with a great effort, he was enabled to extricate from under the horse. The spur, pressed down by the weight of the animal, had ploughed up the ground. Very good. And what did he do as soon as he rose up again? He walked straight up to his adversaries, who still remained upon the verge of the forest. Yes, sire. Then, having reached a favourable distance, he stopped firmly, for the impression of both his heels are left in the ground quite close to each other, fired, and missed the adversaries. How do you know he did not hit him? I found a hat with a ball through it. Ah, a proof, then, exclaimed the king. Insufficient, sire, replied D'Artagnan coldly. It is a hat without any letters indicating its ownership, without arms, a red feather, as all hats have. The lace, even, has nothing particular in it. Did the man with the hat through which the bullet had passed fire a second time? Oh, sire, he had already fired twice. How did you ascertain that? I found the waddings of the pistol. And what became of the bullet which did not kill the horse? It cut in two the feather of the hat belonging to him against whom it was directed, and broke a small birch at the other end of the open glade. In that case, then, the man on the black horse was disarmed, whilst his adversary had still one more shot to fire. Sire, while the dismounted rider was extricating himself from his horse, the other was reloading his pistol. Only he was much agitated while he was doing it, and his hand trembled greatly. How do you know that? Half the charge fell to the ground, and he threw the ramrod aside, not having time to replace it in the pistol. Monsieur d'Artagnan, this is marvellous, you tell me. It is only close observation, sire, and the commonest highwayman could tell as much. The whole scene is before me from the manner in which you relate it. I have, in fact, reconstructed it in my own mind, with merely a few alterations. And now, said the king, let us return to the dismounted cavalier. You were saying that he walked towards his adversary while the latter was loading his pistol. Yes, but at the very moment he himself was taking aim, the other fired. Oh, said the king, and the shot? The shot told terribly, sire. The dismounted cavalier fell upon his face, after having staggered forward three or four paces. Where was he hit? In two places. In the first place, in his right hand, and then, by the same bullet, in his chest. But how could you ascertain that? inquired the king, full of admiration. By a very simple means. The butt-end of the pistol was covered with blood, and the trace of the bullet could be observed with fragments of a broken ring. The wounded man, in all probability, had the ring finger and the little finger carried off. As far as the hand goes, I have nothing to say. But the chest? Sire, there were two small pools of blood at a distance of about two feet and a half from each other. At one of these pools of blood, the grass was torn up by the clenched hand. At the other, the grass was simply pressed down by the weight of the body. Poor de Guiche! exclaimed the king. 
"Ah! it was Monsieur de Guiche, then," said the musketeer, quietly. "I suspected it, but did not venture to mention it to your majesty." "And what made you suspect it?" "I recognized the De Gramont arms upon the holsters of the dead horse." "And you think he is seriously wounded?" "Very seriously, since he fell immediately, and remained a long time in the same place. However, he was able to walk, as he left the spot supported by two friends." "You met him returning, then?" "No; but I observed the footprints of three men. The one on the right and the one on the left walked freely and easily, but the one in the middle dragged his feet as he walked. Besides, he left traces of blood at every step he took." "Now, monsieur, since you saw the combat so distinctly that not a single detail seems to have escaped you, tell me something about de Guiche's adversary." "Oh, sire, I do not know him." "And yet you see everything very clearly." "Yes, sire, I see everything, but I do not tell all I see. And since the poor devil has escaped, your majesty will permit me to say that I do not intend to denounce him. And yet he is guilty, since he has fought a duel, monsieur. Not guilty in my eyes, sire, said D'Artagnan, coldly. Monsieur, exclaimed the king, are you aware of what you are saying? Perfectly, sire. But according to my notions, a man who fights a duel is a brave man. Such, at least, is my own opinion. But your majesty may have another. It is but natural, for you are master here. Monsieur D'Artagnan, I ordered you, however... D'Artagnan interrupted the king by a respectful gesture. You ordered me, sire, to gather what particulars I could, respecting a hostile meeting that had taken place. Those particulars you have. If you order me to arrest Monsieur de Guiche's adversary, I will do so, but do not order me to denounce him to you, for in that case I will not obey. Very well, arrest him then. Give me his name, sire. The king stamped his foot angrily, but after a moment's reflection he said, you are right, ten times, twenty times, a hundred times right. That is my opinion, sire, and I am happy that, this time, it accords with your majesty's. One more word. Who assisted Guiche? I do not know, sire. But you speak of two men. There was a person present, then a second. There was no second, sire. Nay, more than that, when Monsieur de Guiche fell, his adversary fled without giving him any assistance. The miserable coward, exclaimed the king. The consequence of your ordinances, sire. If a man has fought well and fairly, and has already escaped one chance of death, he naturally wishes to escape the second. Monsieur de Bouteville cannot be forgotten very easily. And so men turn to cowards. No, they become prudent. And he has fled then, you say? Yes, and as far as his horse could possibly carry him. In what direction? In the direction of the chateau. Well, and after that? Afterwards, as I have had the honour of telling your majesty, two men on foot arrived who carried Monsieur de Guiche back with them. What proof have you that these men arrived after the combat? A very evident proof, sire. At the moment the encounter took place, the rain had just ceased. The ground had not had time to imbibe the moisture, and was consequently soaked. The footsteps sank in the ground. But while Monsieur de Guiche was lying there in a fainting condition, the ground became firm again, and the footsteps made a less sensible impression. Louis clapped his hands together in sign of admiration. Monsieur d'Artagnan, he said, you are positively the cleverest man in my kingdom. The identical thing Monsieur de Richelieu thought, and Monsieur de Mazarin said, sire. 
And now it remains for us to see if your sagacity is at fault." "Oh, sire, a man may be mistaken. _Humanum est errare_," said the musketeer, philosophically. "In that case you are not human, Monsieur d'Artagnan, for I believe you are never mistaken." "Your majesty said that we were going to see whether such was the case or not." "Yes." "In what way, may I venture to ask?" "I have sent for M. de Manicamp, and M. de Manicamp is coming." "And M. de Manicamp knows the secret?" "De Guiche has no secrets from M. de Manicamp." D'Artagnan shook his head. "No one was present at the combat, I repeat, and unless M. de Manicamp was one of the two men who brought him back " "Hush!" said the king, "he is coming. Remain, and listen attentively." "Very good, sire." And at that very same moment, Manicamp and Saint-Aignan appeared at the threshold of the door. End of chapter 16「Seventeen of Louisa de la Valliere. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Louisa de la Valliere by Alexandra Dumas. Chapter 17. The Encounter. The king signified with an imperious gesture, first to the musketeer, then to Saint-Aignan, on your lives, not a word. D'Artagnan withdrew, like a sentinel, to a corner of the room. Saint-Aignan, in his character of a favorite, leaned over the back of the king's chair. Manicom, with his right foot properly advanced, a smile upon his lips, and his white and well-formed hands gracefully disposed, advanced to make his reverence to the king, who returned the salutation by a bow. "'Good evening, Monsieur de Manicom,' he said. "'Your Majesty did me the honor to send for me,' said Manicom. "'Yes, in order to learn from you all the details "'of the unfortunate accident which has befallen the Comte de Guiche. "'Oh, sire, it is grievous indeed. "'You were there?' "'Not precisely, sire. "'But you arrived on the scene of the accident a few minutes after it took place?' sire about half an hour afterwards and where did the accident happen i believe sire the place is called the rond ponte du borochina oh the rendezvous of the hunt the very spot sire good give me all the details you are acquainted with respecting this unhappy affair monsieur de manicom perhaps your majesty has already been informed of them and i fear to fatigue you with useless repetition no do not be afraid of that manicom looked round him he saw only d'artagnan leaning with his back against the wainscot d'artagnan calm kind and good-natured as usual and saint aignan whom he had accompanied and who still leaned over the king's armchair with an expression of countenance equally full of good feeling he determined therefore to speak out your majesty is perfectly aware he said that accidents are very frequent in hunting in hunting do you say i mean sire when an animal is brought to bay ah ah said the king it was when the animal was brought to bay then that the accident happened alas sire unhappily it was the king paused for a moment before he said what animal was being hunted a wild boar sire 
and what could possibly have possessed De Guiche to go to a wild boar hunt by himself? That is but a clownish idea of sport, only fit for that class of people who, unlike the Maréchal de Grammont, have no dogs and huntsmen to hunt as gentlemen should do. Manicamp shrugged his shoulders. Youth is very rash, he said sententiously. Well, go on, said the king. At all events, continued Manicamp, not venturing to be too precipitate and hasty, and letting his words fall very slowly one by one, at all events, sire, poor de Guiche went hunting, all alone. Quite alone, indeed. What a sportsman! And is not Monsieur de Guiche aware that the wild boar always stands at bay? That is the very thing that really happened, sire. He had some idea, then, of the beast being there? Yes, sire, some peasants had seen it among their potatoes. Footnote. Potatoes were not grown in France at that time. La Cicla insists that the error is theirs, and that Dumas meant tomatoes. End of footnote. And what kind of animal was it? A short, thick beast. You may as well tell me, monsieur, that de Guiche had some idea of committing suicide, for I have seen him hunt, and he is an active and vigorous hunter. Whenever he fires at an animal brought to bay and held in check by the dogs, he takes every possible precaution and yet he fires with a carbine, and on this occasion he seems to have faced the boar with pistols only. Manicom started. A costly pair of pistols, excellent weapons to fight a duel with a man, and not a wild boar. What an absurdity! There are some things, sire, which are difficult of explanation. You are quite right, and the event which we are now discussing is certainly one of them. Go on. During the recital, St. Agno, who probably would have made a sign to Monicom to be careful what he was about, found that the king's glance was constantly fixed upon himself, so that it was utterly impossible to communicate with Monicom in any way. As for D'Artagnan, the statue of silence at Athens was far more noisy and far more expressive than he. Manicom, therefore, was obliged to continue in the same way he had begun and so contrived to get more and more entangled in his explanation. Sire, he said, this is probably how the affair happened. Guiche was waiting to receive the boar as it rushed towards him. On foot or on horseback, inquired the king. On horseback. He fired upon the brute and missed his aim, and then it dashed upon him. And the horse was killed. Ah, your majesty knows that, then. I have been told that a horse has been found lying dead in the crossroads of the Barochine, and I presume it was de Guiche's horse. Perfectly true, sire, it was his. Well, so much for the horse. And now for de Guiche? De Guiche, once down, was attacked and worried by the wild boar, and wounded in the hand and in the chest. It is a horrible accident, but it must be admitted it was de Guiche's own fault. How could he possibly have gone to hunt such an animal merely armed with pistols? He must have forgotten the fable of Adonis. Manicom rubbed his ear in seeming perplexity. Very true, he said. It was very imprudent. Can you explain it, Monsieur Manicom? Sire, what is written is written. Ah, you are a fatalist. Manicom looked very uncomfortable and ill at ease. I am angry with you, Monsieur Manicom, continued the king with me sire yes 
how was it that you who are de guiche's intimate friend and who knew that he is subject to such acts of folly did not stop him in time manicamp no longer knew what to do the tone in which the king spoke was anything but that of a credulous man on the other hand it did not indicate any particular severity nor did he seem to care very much about the cross-examination there was more of raillery in it than menace and you say then continued the king that it was positively de guiche's horse that was found dead quite positive sire did that astonish you no sire for your majesty will remember that at the last hunt monsieur de saint mar had a horse killed under him and in the same way yes but that one was ripped open of course sire had de guiche's horse been ripped open like monsieur de saint mar's horse i should not have been astonished manicamp opened his eyes very wide am i mistaken resumed the king was it not in the frontal bone that de guiche's horse was struck you must admit monsieur de manicamp that is a very singular place for a wild boar to attack you are aware sire that the horse is a very intelligent animal and he doubtless endeavored to defend himself but a horse defends himself with his heels and not with his head in that case the terrified horse may have slipped or fallen down said manicamp and the boar you understand sire the boar oh i understand that perfectly as far as the horse is concerned but how about his rider well that too is simple enough the boar left the horse and attacked the rider and as i have already had the honor of informing your majesty shattered de guiche's hand at the very moment he was about to discharge his second pistol at him and then with a gouge of his tusk made that terrible hole in his chest nothing is more likely really monsieur de manicamp you are wrong in placing so little confidence in your own eloquence and you can tell a story most admirably your majesty is exceedingly kind said manicamp saluting him in the most embarrassed manner from this day henceforth i will prohibit any gentleman attached to my court going out to similar encounter really one might just as well permit duelling manicamp started and moved as if he were about to withdraw is your majesty satisfied delighted but do not withdraw yet monsieur de manicamp said louis i have something to say to you well well thought d'artagnan there is another who is not up to the mark and he uttered a sigh which might signify oh the men of our stamp where are they now at this moment an usher lifted up the curtain before the door and announced the king's physician ah exclaimed louis here comes monsieur valot who has just been to see monsieur de guiche we shall now hear news of the man maltreated by the boar manicamp felt more uncomfortable than ever in this way at least added the king our conscience will be quite clear and he looked at d'artagnan who did not seem in the slightest degree discomposed end of chapter seventeen recording by dion gines salt lake city utah chapter eighteen of louisa de la valliera this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by dion gines louisa de la valliera by alexandra dumas chapter eighteen the physician 
Monsieur Valou entered. The position of the different persons present was precisely the same. The king was seated, Saint-Aignan leaning over the back of his armchair, D'Artagnan with his back against the wall, and Manicom still standing. "'Well, Monsieur Valou,' said the king, "'did you obey my directions?' "'With the greatest alacrity, sire.' "'You went to the doctor's house in Fontainebleau?' "'Yes, sire.' "'And you found Monsieur de Guiche there?' "'I did, sire.' "'What state was he in?' "'Speak unreservedly.' "'In a very sad state, indeed, sire. "'The wild boar did not quite devour him, however. "'Devour whom?' "'De Guiche.' "'What wild boar?' "'The boar that wounded him.' "'Monsieur de Guiche wounded by a boar?' "'So it is said, at least.' "'By a poacher, rather, or by a jealous husband, "'or an ill-used lover, who, in order to be revenged, fired upon him. "'What is it that you say, Monsieur Valou? "'Were not Monsieur de Guiche's wounds produced by defending himself against a wild boar?' Monsieur de Guiche's wounds are the result of a pistol bullet that broke his ring finger and the little finger of the right hand, and afterwards buried itself in the intercostal muscles of the chest. A bullet? Are you sure Monsieur de Guiche was wounded by a bullet? exclaimed the king, pretending to look much surprised. Indeed I am, sire, so sure, in fact, that here it is and he presented to the king a half-flattened bullet, which the king looked at, but did not touch. "'Did he have that in his chest, poor fellow?' he asked. "'Not precisely. The ball did not penetrate, but was flattened, as you see, either upon the trigger of the pistol, or upon the right side of the breastbone.' "'Good heavens!' said the king seriously. "'You said nothing to me about this, Monsieur de Manicamp?' "'Sire!' What does all this mean, then, this invention about hunting a wild boar at nightfall? Come, speak, monsieur. Sire, it seems, then, that you are right, said the king, turning round towards his captain of musketeers, and that a duel actually took place. The king possessed, to a greater extent than anyone else, the faculty enjoyed by the great in power or position, of compromising and dividing those beneath him. Manicamp darted a look full of reproaches at the musketeer. D'Artagnan understood the look at once, and not wishing to remain beneath the weight of such an accusation, advanced a step forward and said, Sire, your majesty commanded me to go and explore the place where the crossroads meet in the Borochine, and to report to you, according to my own ideas, what had taken place there i submitted my observations to you but without denouncing any one it was your majesty yourself who was the first to name the comte de guiche well monsieur well said the king haughtily you have done your duty and i am satisfied with you but you monsieur de manicamp have failed in yours for you have told me a falsehood a falsehood sire the expression is a hard one find a more accurate then sire i will not attempt to do so i have already been unfortunate enough to displease your majesty and it will in every respect be far better for me to accept most humbly any reproaches you may think proper to address to me you are right monsieur whoever conceals the truth from me risks my displeasure 
sometimes sire one is ignorant of the truth no further falsehood monsieur or i double the punishment manicamp bowed and turned pale d'artagnan again made another step forward determined to interfere if the still increasing anger of the king attained certain limits you see monsieur continued the king that it is useless to deny the thing any longer monsieur de guiche has fought a duel i do not deny it sire and it would have been truly generous on your majesty's part not to have forced me to tell a falsehood forced who forced you sire monsieur de guiche is my friend your majesty has forbidden duels under pain of death a falsehood might save my friend's life and i told it good murmured d'artagnan an excellent fellow upon my word instead of telling a falsehood monsieur you should have prevented him from fighting said the king oh sire your majesty who is the most accomplished gentleman in france knows quite as well as any of us other gentlemen that we have never considered monsieur de bouville dishonored for having suffered death on the place de grave that which does in truth dishonor a man is to avoid meeting his enemy not to avoid meeting his executioner well monsieur that may be so said louis the fourteenth i am desirous of suggesting a means of your repairing all if it be a means of which a gentleman may avail himself i shall most eagerly seize the opportunity the name of monsieur de guiche's adversary oh oh murmured d'artagnan are we going to take louis the thirteenth as a model sire said manicamp with an accent of reproach you will not name him then said the king sire i do not know him bravo murmured d'artagnan monsieur de manicamp hand your sword to the captain manicamp bowed very gracefully unbuckled his sword smiling as he did so and handed it for the musketeer to take but saint agnaud advanced hurriedly between him and d'artagnan sire he said will your majesty permit me to say a word do so said the king delighted perhaps at the bottom of his heart for some one to step between him and the wrath he felt that had carried him too far manicamp you are a brave man and the king will appreciate your conduct but to wish to serve your friends too well is to destroy them manicamp you know the name the king asks you for it is perfectly true i do know it you will give it up then if i felt i ought to have mentioned it i should have already done so then i will tell it for i am not so extremely sensitive on such points of honor as you are you are at liberty to do so but it seems to me however oh a truce to magnanimity i will not permit you to go to the bastille in that way do you speak or i will manicamp was keen-witted enough and perfectly understood that he had done quite sufficient to produce a good opinion of his conduct it was now only a question of persevering in such a manner as to regain the good graces of the king speak monsieur he said to saint agnaud i have on my own behalf done all that my conscience told me to do and it must have been very importunate he added turning towards the king since its mandates led me to disobey your majesty's commands but your majesty will forgive me i hope when you learn that i was anxious to preserve the honor of a lady of a lady said the king with some uneasiness yes sire 
a lady was the cause of this duel manicamp bowed if the position of the lady in question warrants it he said i shall not complain of your having acted with so much circumspection on the contrary indeed sire everything which concerns your majesty's household or the household of your majesty's brother is of importance in my eyes in my brother's household repeated louis the fourteenth with a slight hesitation the cause of the duel was a lady belonging to my brother's household do you say or to madame's ah to madame's yes sire well and this lady is one of the maids of honor of her royal highness madame la duchesse d'orleans for whom monsieur de guiche fought do you say yes sire and this time i tell no falsehood louis seemed restless and anxious gentlemen he said turning towards the spectators of this scene will you have the goodness to retire for a moment i wish to be alone with monsieur manicamp i know he has some important communication to make for his own justification and which he will not venture before witnesses put up your sword monsieur de manicamp manicamp returned his sword to his belt the fellow decidedly has his wits about him murmured the musketeer taking saint agnaud by the arm and withdrawing with him he will get out of it said the latter in d'artagnan's ear and with honor too comte manicamp cast a glance of recognition at saint agnaud and the captain which luckily passed unnoticed by the king come come said d'artagnan as he left the room i had an indifferent opinion of the new generation well i was mistaken after all there is some good in them i perceive Ballou preceded the favorite and the captain leaving the king and manicamp alone in the cabinet End of chapter eighteen recording by dion gines salt lake city utah chapter nineteen of louisa de la valliera this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by dion gines louisa de la valliera by alexander dumas chapter nineteen wherein d'artagnan perceives that it was he who was mistaken and manicamp who was right the king determined to be satisfied that no one was listening went himself to the door and then returned precipitately and placed himself opposite manicamp and now we are alone monsieur de manicamp explain yourself with the greatest frankness sire replied the young man and in the first place pray understand added the king that there is nothing to which i personally attach a greater importance than the honor of any lady that is the very reason sire why i endeavor to study your delicacy of sentiment and feeling yes i understand it all now you say that it was one of the maids of honor of my sister-in-law who was the subject of dispute and that the person in question de guiche's adversary the man in point of fact whom you will not name but whom monsieur de saint agnaud will name monsieur yes you say however that this man insulted some one belonging to the household of madame yes sire mademoiselle de la valliere ah said the king as if he had expected the name and yet as if its announcement had caused him a sudden pang ah it was mademoiselle de la valliere who was insulted i did not say precisely that she was insulted sire but at all events i merely say that she was spoken of in terms far from respectful 
a man dares to speak in disrespectful terms of mademoiselle de la valliere and yet you refuse to tell me the name of the insulter sire i thought it was quite understood that your majesty had abandoned the idea of making me denounce him perfectly true monsieur returned the king controlling his anger besides i shall know in good time the name of this man whom i shall feel it is my duty to punish manicamp perceived that they had returned to the question again as for the king he saw he had allowed himself to be hurried away a little too far and therefore continued and i will punish him not because there is any question of mademoiselle de la valliere although i esteem her very highly but because a lady was the object of the quarrel and i intend that ladies shall be respected at my court and that quarrel shall be put a stop to altogether manicamp bowed and now monsieur de manicamp continued the king what was said about mademoiselle de la valliere cannot your majesty guess i your majesty can imagine the character of the jest in which young men permit themselves to indulge they very probably said that she was in love with someone the king ventured to remark probably so but mademoiselle de la valliere has a perfect right to love anyone she pleases said the king that is the very point de guiche maintained and on account of which he fought do you mean yes sire the sole and only cause the king colored and you do not know anything more then in what respect sire in the very interesting respect which you are now referring to what does your majesty wish to know why the name of the man with whom la valliere is in love and whom de guiche's adversary disputed her right to love sire i know nothing i have heard nothing and have learnt nothing even accidentally but de guiche is a noble-hearted fellow and if momentarily he substituted himself in the place or stead of la valliere's protector it was because that protector was himself of too exalted a position to undertake her defence these words were more than transparent they made the king blush but this time with pleasure he struck manicamp gently on the shoulder well well monsieur de manicamp you are not only a ready witty fellow but a brave gentleman besides and your friend de guiche is a paladin quite after my own heart you will express that to him from me your majesty forgives me then completely and i am free the king smiled and held out his hand to manicamp which he took and kissed respectfully and then added the king you relate stories so charmingly i sire you told me in the most admirable manner the particulars of the accident which happened to de guiche i can see the wild boar rushing out of the wood i can see the horse fall down fighting with his head and the boar rush from the horse to the rider you do not simply relate a story well you positively paint its incidents sire i think your majesty condescends to laugh at my expense said manicamp on the contrary said louis seriously i have so little intention of laughing monsieur de manicamp that i wish you to relate this adventure to every one the adventure of the hunt yes in the manner you told it to me without changing a single word you understand perfectly sire and you will relate it then without losing a minute very well and now summon monsieur d'artagnan i hope you are no longer afraid of him 
Oh, sire, from the very moment I am sure of your majesty's kind disposition, I no longer fear anything. Call him, then, said the king. Manicom opened the door and said, Gentlemen, the king wishes you to return. D'Artagnan, Saint-Aignan, and Valou entered. Gentlemen, said the king, I summon you for the purposes of saying that Monsieur Manicom's explanation has entirely satisfied me. D'Artagnan glanced at Valou and Saint-Aignan as much to say, Well, did I not tell you so? The king led Manicom to the door, and then, in a low tone of voice, said, See that Monsieur de Guiche takes good care of himself, and particularly that he recovers as soon as possible. I am very desirous of thanking him in the name of every lady, but let him take special care that he does not begin again. Were he to die a hundred times, sire, he would begin again, if your majesty's honor were in any way called in question. This remark was direct enough, but we have already said that the incense of flattery was very pleasing to the king, and provided he received it, he was not very particular as to its quality. Very well, very well, he said, as he dismissed Manicom. I will see de Guiche myself, and make him listen to reason. And as Manicom left the apartment, the king turned round towards the three spectators of this scene, and said, Tell me, Monsieur d'Artagnan, how does it happen that your sight is so imperfect, you whose eyes are generally so very good? My sight bad, sire? Certainly. It must be the case, since your majesty says so, but in what respect, may I ask? Why, with regard to what occurred in the Borochine. Ah, ah, certainly. You pretended to have seen the tracks of two horses, to have detected the footprints of two men, and have described the particulars of an engagement which you assert took place. Nothing of the sort occurred, pure illusion on your part. Ah, ah, said D'Artagnan, exactly the same with the galloping to and fro of the horses, and the other indications of a struggle. It was the struggle of de Guiche against the wild boar, and absolutely nothing else. Only the struggle was a long and a terrible one, it seems. Ah, ah, continued D'Artagnan, and when I think that I almost believed it for a moment. But then you told it with such confidence. I admit, sire, that I must have been very short-sighted, said D'Artagnan, with a readiness of humor which delighted the king. You do admit it, then? Admit it, sire, most assuredly I do. So now that you see the thing, in quite a different light from that in which I saw it half an hour ago, and to what, then, do you attribute this difference in your opinion? Oh, a very simple thing, sire. Half an hour ago I returned from Beaurochine, where I had nothing to light me but a stupid stable lantern. While now? While now I have all the wax lights of your cabinet and, more than that, your majesty's own eyes, which illuminate everything, like the blazing sun at noonday. The king began to laugh, and St. Agno broke out into convulsions of merriment. It is precisely like Monsieur Valot, said D'Artagnan, resuming the conversation where the king had left off. He has been imagining all along that not only was Monsieur de Guiche wounded by a bullet, but still more, that he extracted it, even, from his chest. Upon my word, said Valou, I assure you. Now, did you not believe that? continued D'Artagnan. Yes, said Valou, not only did I believe it, 
but at this very moment I would swear it. Well, my dear doctor, you have dreamt it. I have dreamt it? Monsieur de Guiche's wound, a mere dream. The bullet, a dream. So take my advice, and prate no more about it. Well said, returned the king. Monsieur d'Artagnan's advice is sound. Do not speak of your dream to anyone, Monsieur Valou, and, upon the word of a gentleman, you will have no occasion to repent it. Good evening, gentlemen. A very sad affair, indeed, is a wild boar hunt. A very serious thing, indeed, repeated D'Artagnan in a loud voice, is a wild boar hunt. And he repeated it in every room through which he passed, and left the chateau taking Valou with him. And now we are alone, said the king to saint Agno. What is the name of de Guiche's adversary? saint Agno looked at the king. Oh, do not hesitate, said the king. You know that I am bound beforehand to forgive. De Wardes, said saint Agno. Very good, said Louis the Fourteenth, And then, retiring to his own room, added to himself, To forgive is not to forget. End of chapter 19 Recording by Dion Gimes, Salt Lake City, Utah. Chapter 20 of Louisa de la Valliera. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gimes. Louisa de la Valliera by Alexandra Dumas. Chapter 20 showing the advantage of having two strings to one's bow. Manicom quitted the king's apartment, delighted at having succeeded so well, when, just as he reached the bottom of the staircase and was passing a doorway, he felt that someone suddenly pulled him by the sleeve. He turned round and recognized Mondelet, who was waiting for him in the passage, and who, in a very mysterious manner, with her body bent forward and in a low tone of voice, said to him, follow me monsieur and without any delay if you please where to mademoiselle inquired manicamp in the first place a true knight would not have asked such a question but would have followed me without requiring any explanation well mademoiselle i am quite ready to conduct myself as a true knight no it is too late and you cannot take the credit of it we are going to madame's apartment so come at once ah ah said manicamp lead on then and he followed montalais who ran before him as light as galatia this time said manicamp as he followed his guide i do not think that stories about hunting expeditions would be acceptable we will try however and if need be well if there should be any occasion for it we must try something else montalais still ran on how fatiguing it is thought manicamp to have need of one's head and legs at the same time at last however they arrived madame had just finished undressing and it was in a most elegant deshabille. but it must be understood that she had changed her dress before she had any idea of being subjected to the emotions now agitating her she was waiting with the most restless impatience and montalais and manicamp found her standing near the door at the sound of their approaching footsteps madame came forward to meet them ah she said at last here is monsieur manicamp replied montalais manicamp bowed with the greatest respect madame signed to montalais to withdraw and she immediately obeyed madame followed her with her eyes in silence until the door closed behind her 
and then, turning towards Manicamp, said, "'What is the matter? And is it true, as I am told, Monsieur de Manicamp, that someone is lying wounded in the chateau?' "'Yes, madame, unfortunately so. Monsieur de Guiche.' "'Yes, Monsieur de Guiche,' repeated the princess. "'I had, in fact, heard it rumoured, but not confirmed.' And so, in truth, is it Monsieur de Guiche who has been thus unfortunate? Monsieur de Guiche himself, madame. Are you aware, Monsieur de Manicamp, said the princess hastily, that the king has the strongest antipathy to duels? Perfectly so, madame, but a duel with a wild beast is not answerable. Oh, you will not insult me by supposing that I credit the absurd fable, with what object I cannot tell respecting monsieur de guiche having been wounded by a wild boar no no monsieur the real truth is known and in addition to the inconvenience of his wound monsieur de guiche runs the risk of losing his liberty if not his life alas madame i am well aware of that but what is to be done you have seen the king yes madame what did you say to him I told him how Monsieur de Guiche went to the chase, and how a wild boar rushed forth out of the Beaurochine, how Monsieur de Guiche fired at it, and how, in fact, the furious brute dashed at de Guiche, killed his horse, and grievously wounded himself. And the king believed that? Implicitly. Oh, you surprise me, Monsieur de Manicom, you surprise me very much. And Madame walked up and down the room, casting a searching look from time to time at Manicom, who remained motionless and impassable in the same place. At last she stopped. And yet, she said, everyone here seems unanimous in giving another cause for this wound. What cause, madame, said Manicom? May I be permitted, without indiscretion, to ask your highness? You ask such a question? You, Monsieur de Guiche's intimate friend, his confidant, indeed. Oh, madame, his intimate friend, yes confidant no de guiche is a man who can keep his own secrets who has some of his own certainly but who never breathes a syllable about them de guiche is discretion itself madame very well then those secrets which monsieur de guiche keeps so scrupulously i shall have the pleasure of informing you of said the princess almost spitefully for the king may possibly question you a second time and if on the second occasion you were to repeat the same story to him he possibly might not be very well satisfied with it but madame i think your highness is mistaken with regard to the king his majesty was perfectly satisfied with me i assure you in that case permit me to assure you monsieur de manicamp it only proves one thing which is that his majesty is very easily satisfied i think your highness is mistaken in arriving at such an opinion his majesty is well known not to be contented except with very good reason and do you suppose that he will thank you for your officious falsehood when he will learn to-morrow that monsieur de guiche had on behalf of his friend monsieur de bragelonne a quarrel which ended in a hostile meeting a quarrel on monsieur de bragelonne's account said manicamp with the most innocent expression in the world what does your royal highness do me the honor to tell me what is there astonishing in that monsieur de guiche is susceptible irritable and easily loses his temper on the contrary madame i know monsieur de guiche to be very patient and never susceptible or irritable except upon very good grounds but is not friendship a just ground said the princess oh certainly madame and particularly for a heart like his 
very good you will not deny i suppose that monsieur de bragelonne is monsieur de guiche's good friend a great friend well then monsieur de guiche has taken monsieur de bragelonne's part and as monsieur de bragelonne was absent and could not fight he fought for him manicamp began to smile and moved his head and shoulders very slightly as much as to say oh if you will positively have it so but speak at all events said the princess out of patience speak i of course it is quite clear you are not of my opinion and that you have something to say i have only one thing to say madame name it that i do not understand a single word of what you have just been telling me what you do not understand a single word about monsieur de guiche's quarrel with monsieur de wad exclaimed the princess almost out of temper manicamp remained silent a quarrel she continued which arose out of a conversation scandalous in its tone and purport and more or less well founded respecting the virtue of a certain lady ah of a certain lady that is quite another thing said manicamp you begin to understand do you not your highness will excuse me but i dare not you dare not said madame exasperated very well then wait one moment i will dare madame madame exclaimed manicamp as if in great dismay be careful of what you are going to say it would seem monsieur that if i happened to be a man you would challenge me notwithstanding his majesty's edicts as monsieur de guiche challenged monsieur de wad and that too on account of the virtue of mademoiselle de la valliere of mademoiselle de la valliere exclaimed manicamp starting backwards as if that was the very last name he had expected to hear pronounced what makes you start in that manner monsieur de manicamp said madame ironically do you mean to say you would be impertinent enough to suspect that young lady's honor madame in the whole course of this affair there has not been the slightest question of mademoiselle de la valliere's honor what when two men have almost blown each other's brains out on a woman's behalf do you mean to say she has nothing to do with the affair and that her name has not been called in question at all i do not think you so good a courtier monsieur de manicamp pray forgive me madame said the young man but we are very far from understanding one another you give me the honor to speak one language while i am speaking altogether another i beg your pardon but i do not understand your meaning forgive me then but i fancied i understood your highness to remark that de guiche and de wad had fought on mademoiselle de la valliere's account certainly on account of mademoiselle de la valliere i think you said repeated manicamp i do not say that monsieur de guiche personally took an interest in mademoiselle de la valliere but i say that he did so as representing or acting on behalf of another on behalf of another come do not always assume such a bewildered look does not every one here know that monsieur de bragelonne is affianced to mademoiselle de la valliere and that before he went on the mission with which the king entrusted him he charged his friend monsieur de guiche to watch over that interesting young lady there is nothing more for me to say then your highness is well informed of everything i beg you to understand that clearly manicamp began to laugh which almost exasperated the princess who was not as we know of a very patient disposition madame resumed the discreet manicamp saluting the princess let us bury this affair altogether in forgetfulness 
for it will probably never be quite cleared up. Oh, as far as that goes, there is nothing more to do, and the information is complete. The king will learn that Monsieur de Guiche has taken up the cause of this little adventuress, who gives herself all the airs of a grand lady. He will learn that Monsieur de Bragelonne, having nominated his friend Monsieur de Guiche his guardian in ordinary, the latter immediately fastened, as he was required to do, upon the Marquis de Wade, who ventured to trench upon his privileges. Moreover, you cannot pretend to deny, Monsieur Manicom, you who know everything so well, that the king on his side casts a longing eye upon this famous treasure, and that he will bear no slight grudge against Monsieur de Guiche for constituting himself its defender. Are you sufficiently well informed now, or do you require anything further? If so, speak, monsieur. No, madame, there is nothing more I wish to know. Learn, however, for you ought to know it, monsieur de Manicom. Learn that his majesty's indignation will be followed by terrible consequences. In princes of a similar temperament to that of his majesty, the passion which jealousy causes sweeps down like a whirlwind, which you will temper, madame. I, exclaimed the princess, with a gesture of indescribable irony, I, and by what title, may I ask? Because you detest injustice, madame. And according to your account, then, it would be an injustice to prevent the king arranging his love affairs as he pleases. You will intercede, however, in Monsieur de Guiche's favor. You are mad, monsieur, said the princess, in a haughty tone of voice. On the contrary, I am in the most perfect possession of my senses, and I repeat, you will defend Monsieur de Guiche before the king. Why should I? Because the cause of Monsieur de Guiche is your own, madame, said Manicom, with ardor kindling in his eyes. What do you mean by that? I mean, madame, that with respect to the defense which Monsieur de Guiche undertook in Monsieur de Bragelonne's absence, I am surprised that your highness has not detected a pretext in La Valliere's name having been brought forward. A pretext? but a pretext for what repeated the princess hesitatingly for manicom's steady look had just revealed something of the truth to her i trust madame said the young man i have said sufficient to induce your highness not to overwhelm before his majesty my poor friend de guiche against whom all the malevolence of a party bitterly opposed to your own will now be directed you mean, on the contrary, I suppose, that all those who have no great affection for Mademoiselle de la Valliere, and even, perhaps, a few of those who have some regard for her, will be angry with the comte? Oh, madame, why will you push your obstinacy to such an extent, and refuse to open your ears and listen to the counsel of one whose devotion to you is unbounded? Must I expose myself to the risk of your displeasure? Am I really to be called upon to name, contrary to my own wish, the person who was the real cause of this quarrel the person said madame blushing must i continued manicom tell you how poor de guiche became irritated furious exasperated beyond all control at the different rumors now being circulated about this person must i if you persist in this woeful blindness and if respect should continue to prevent me naming her must i i repeat recall to your recollection the various scenes which monsieur had with the duke of buckingham and the insinuations which were reported respecting the duke's exile must i remind you of the anxious care the comte always took in his efforts to please to watch to protect that person for whom alone he lives 
for whom alone he breathes? Well, I will do so. And when I shall have made you recall all the particulars I refer to, you will perhaps understand how it happened that the Comte, having lost all control over himself, and having been for some time past almost harassed to death by Duat, became, at the first disrespectful expression which the latter pronounced, respecting the person in question, inflamed with passion, and panted only for an opportunity of avenging the affront. The princess concealed her face with her hands. Monsieur, monsieur, she exclaimed, do you know what you are saying, and to whom you are speaking? And so, madame, pursued Manicom, as if he had not heard the exclamations of the princess, nothing will astonish you any longer. Neither the comte's ardor in seeking the quarrel, nor his wonderful address in transferring it to a quarter foreign to your own personal interests. That latter circumstance was indeed a marvelous instance of tact and perfect coolness, and if the person in whose behalf the comte so fought, and shed his blood does in reality owe some gratitude to the poor wounded sufferer it is not on account of the blood he has shed or the agony he has suffered but for the steps he has taken to preserve from comment or reflection an honor which was more precious to him than his own oh cried madame as if she had been alone is it possible the quarrel was on my account manicamp felt he could now breathe for a moment and gallantly had he won the right to do so. Madame, on her side, remained for some time plunged in a painful reverie. Her agitation could be seen by her quick respiration, by her drooping eyelids, by the frequency with which she pressed her hand upon her heart. But in her, coquetry was not so much a passive quality as, on the contrary, a fire which sought for fuel to maintain itself, finding anywhere and everywhere what it required if it be as you assert she said the comte will have obliged two persons at the same time for monsieur de bragelonne also owns a deep debt of gratitude to monsieur de guiche and with far greater reason indeed because everywhere and on every occasion mademoiselle de la valliere will be regarded as having been defended by this generous champion manicamp perceived that there still remained some lingering doubt in the princess's heart a truly admirable service indeed he said is the one he has rendered to mademoiselle de la valliere a truly admirable service to monsieur de bragelonne the duel has created a sensation which in some respects casts a dishonorable suspicion upon that young girl a sensation indeed which will embroil her with the vicomte the consequence is that de wad's pistol bullet has had three results instead of one it destroys at the same time the honor of a woman the happiness of a man and perhaps it has wounded to death one of the best gentlemen in france oh madame your logic is cold even calculating it always condemns it never absolves manicamp's concluding words scattered to the winds the last doubt which lingered not in madame's heart but in her mind she was no longer a princess full of scruples nor a woman with her ever-returning suspicions but one whose heart has just felt the mortal chill of a wound wounded to death she murmured in a faltering voice oh monsieur de manicamp did you not say wounded to death manicamp returned no other answer than a deep sigh and so you said that the comte is dangerously wounded continued the princess yes madame one of his hands is shattered and he has a bullet lodged in his breast 
gracious heavens resumed the princess with a feverish excitement this is horrible monsieur de manicamp a hand shattered do you say and a bullet in his breast and that coward that wretch that assassin de wad did it manicamp seemed overcome by a violent emotion he had in fact displayed no little energy in the latter part of his speech as for madame she entirely threw aside all regard for the formal observances of propriety society imposes for when with her passion spoke in accents either of anger or sympathy nothing could restrain her impulses madame approached manicamp who had subsided in a chair as if his grief were a sufficiently powerful excuse for his infraction of the laws of etiquette monsieur she said seizing him by the hand be frank with me manicamp looked up is monsieur de guiche in danger of death doubly so madame he replied in the first place on account of the hemorrhage which has taken place an artery having been injured in the hand and next in consequence of the wound in his breast which may the doctor is afraid at least have injured some vital part he may die then die yes madame and without even having had the consolation of knowing that you have been told of his devotion you will tell him i yes are you not his friend i oh no madame i will tell only monsieur de guiche if indeed he is still in a condition to hear me i will only tell him what i have seen that is your cruelty to him oh monsieur you will not be guilty of such barbarity indeed madame i shall speak the truth for nature is very energetic in a man of his age the physicians are clever men and if by chance the poor comte should survive his wound i should not wish him to die of a wound of the heart after surviving one of the body manicamp rose and with an expression of profoundest respect seemed to be desirous of taking leave at least monsieur said madame stopping him with almost a suppliant air you will be kind enough to tell me in what state your wounded friend is and who is the physician who attends him as regards the state he is in madame he is seriously ill his physician is monsieur valot his majesty's private medical attendant monsieur valot is moreover assisted by a professional friend to whose house monsieur de guiche has been carried what he is not in the chateau said madame alas madame the poor fellow was so ill that he could not even be conveyed thither give me the address monsieur said the princess hurriedly i will send to inquire after him rue de fura a brick-built house with white outside blinds the doctor's name is on the door you are returning to your wounded friend monsieur de manicamp yes madame you will be able then to do me a service i am at your highness's orders do what you intended to do return to monsieur de guiche send away all those whom you may find there and have the kindness yourself to go away too madame let us waste no time in useless explanations accept the fact as i present it to you see nothing in it beyond what is really there and ask nothing further than what i tell you i am going to send one of my ladies perhaps two because it is now getting late i do not wish them to see you or rather i do not wish you to see them these are scruples you can understand you particularly monsieur de manicamp who seem capable of divining so much oh madame perfectly i can even do better still i will precede or rather walk in advance of your attendants it will at the same time be the means of showing them the way more accurately and of protecting them if the occasion arises 
though there is no probability of their needing protection. And by this means, then, they would be sure of entering without difficulty, would they not? Certainly, madame, for as I should be the first to pass, I thus remove any difficulties that might chance to be in the way. Very well. Go, go, monsieur de Manicamp, and wait at the bottom of the staircase. I will go at once, madame. Stay. Manicamp paused. When you hear the footsteps of two women descending the stairs, go out, and without once turning round, take the road which leads to where the poor count is lying. But if, by any mischance, two other persons were to descend, and I were to be mistaken? You will hear one of the two clap her hands together softly. Go. Manicom turned round, bowed once more, and left the room, his heart overflowing with joy. In fact, he knew very well that the presence of Madame herself would be the best balm to apply to his friend's wounds. A quarter of an hour had hardly elapsed when he heard the sound of a door open softly and closed with like precaution. He listened to the light footfalls gliding down the staircase, and then heard the signal agreed upon. He immediately went out, and, faithful to his promise, bent his way, without once turning his head, through the streets of Fontainebleau toward the doctor's dwelling. End of chapter 20 Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah